The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. I say it every time because it's always true. The buzz today... Three's a charm, or is it? Well, let me tell you what I'm talking about. Three lines of defense, we might refer to them on the show today, is T-L-O-D, that's cap T, cap L, lower O, cap D. Three lines of defense is becoming a globally recognized framework. What is it all about? Corporate risk, corporate compliance, and other groups are setting standards and practices for managing risk, and internal audit comes along and provides assurance. However, in a recent study commissioned by SAP from Forrester, let me read you some numbers here, about 45% of the more than 200 respondents had already implemented or were implementing the three lines of defense, but a lot of executives expressed concerns. So we're going to look at that today. Is implementation of TLID, LOD, only on the fringes of the business? Is it not yet deep and rigorous in terms of what needs to happen? Is the adoption going to happen? What is the status? Who is in be- who is behind it? Who is embracing it? Is it working? So our topic today, those of you in the finance field, will be relieved to know our topic is three lines of defense, fact or fiction, and we're going to help us, all of you out there in our global audience, figure that out. I have three thought leaders who are experts in this field. In just a moment, I'll introduce you to Mark Salamasic. He has a lot of letters after his name. Let's see. We've got CIA, CISA, CRMA, CSP. He's the Executive Director of Audit at the University of Texas System. We'll welcome him in a moment. Joining us also today is Elvia Novak. She's a returning guest. She's a director in Deloitte's Audit and Enterprise Risk Services Practice. And welcome back to Elvia and a shout out to all of our very good friends at Deloitte. And rounding out the panel is none other than Bruce McQuaig here at SAP. He's got a lot of letters too. He's got a BCOM, a CA, a CRMA, and a CCSA. He's a Director of Solution Marketing for Governance, Risk, and Compliance, GRC Solutions, at SAP. So let me get started introducing Mark Salamasic first. And Mark has sent me a very interesting quote from Clint Eastwood. I think this is Clint Eastwood's first time on Game Changers Radio. Welcome, Clint, in absentia, where we are uh, channeling you. And here is a little bit of background. If anybody doesn't know who he is, his full name is Clinton Eastwood Jr. He was born in 1930. He's an American actor, film director, producer, musician, and political figure who rose to international fame with his role as Man with No Name in Sergio Leone's Dollars Trilogy of Spaghetti Westerns during the 1960s. I remember the Spaghetti Westerns on TV when I was just a little girl. I don't remember this particular one. And maybe more famously, he served as the anti-hero cop Harry Callahan in five 
Dirty Harry movies throughout the 1970s and 80s. He is a cultural icon of, okay, everybody flex your muscles, masculinity, El Macho. Okay, here's the quote that Marcus elected from the vast lore of Clint Eastwood. Quote, sometimes if you want to see a change for the better, you have to take things into your own hands. Mark Salamasic, how are you today, Mark? Bonnie, I'm doing fantastic, and uh, I, I do love Clint Eastwood and, and all his movies, particularly, as you point out, the Dirty Harry series were, was my favorite, and it's kind of a way that I've had for living life. So my preference is change, and if you change things, you need to make them better. Um, and also, you have to, at times, you've got to be the one initiating the change. So let me just tell you a little bit about myself and why I picked that is, I started out my career after an MBA teaching, and then I was a consultant. Then I was an auditor in the financial services for 20 years. Then I was a faculty member that did, did it full-time for another 12 years, and then decided I wanted to go back and cause more change and be an, be an auditor again. So getting back to that change piece of it. And three lines of defense, I've been passionate about it, particularly about the last, I'd say, four or five years, in that I've seen many audit committees and management adopting it and, and seeing a lot more things out there related to training our audit committee. So let me tell you just a little bit about my, my new role. Uh, I actually just moved from the Dallas area about a year ago down to Austin. Love Austin. It's a fantastic place. But uh, my, in, the, in the new role, we actually have 14 audit committees. So it's a continual process of change and getting them to adopt to new ways of thinking and, and actually educating them related to the three lines of defense. So have enjoyed the new experience here, and Austin is such a fa- fabulous uh, city to live in. And so, Bonnie, yeah, this is changes <laughs> the way of happening. And when I told my boss uh, that I would only take this job that I'm currently in, I'd take it only if it, he wanted somebody to cause change, not somebody that just keep the wheels operating. Well, I appreciate that, Mark. Very nice to meet you. We rarely have that kind of overview from a personal perspective, and I appreciate it. Um, you love Dirty Harry. Have you seen any of Clint Eastwood's more recent movies, or is that the one that sticks in your mind the most? The whole Dirty Harry series, uh, I like the best. Uh, however, being from the uh, Detroit area, the Grand Torino is probably one of my more recent ones that I, that I like, but even that one's not that recent. So, but yeah, I do like I do like to keep up with him. I think I'm going to go back and watch uh, all forty some movies some some point in time that I want to just relax over a weekend. Ah, I like that very much. You're going to be busy. Thank you very much for the introduction to our topic. Now let's welcome Elvia Novak. As I said, she's a director in Deloitte's Audit and Enterprise Risk Services Practice. And Elvia has picked a very nice quote. We've, we see this from time to time, and it's so applicable. It's from Henry Ford, American industrialist, founder of the Ford Motor Company and sponsor of the development of the assembly line technique that brought us the joys of mass production. And by the way, everybody needs to know, Henry, Henry Ford did not invent the automobile, and he did not invent the assembly line, but he developed and manufactured the first car that many middle-class Americans could afford. So he converted the automobile from an expensive curiosity. Wow, what's that going down the road there, Ma? You think we could afford one? Nope. Into a practical conveyance that would profoundly impact the landscape of the 20th century. And now we've got self-driving cars. So I don't know who would have thunk it. Certainly not Henry Ford. Here's the quote Elvia has picked. Coming together is a beginning. Keeping together 
is progress. Working together is success. Elvia Novak, welcome back to Game Changers. How have you been? Thanks, Bonnie. Great. Um, you know, it's interesting. I'm actually in Texas today. <laughs> <laughs> you have to wave at Mark. Where? where what city are you in today, I'm in Dallas. Um, I am attending a convention, which is a, a recruiting event, but it's been um, exciting. So as, as I was thinking about the topic, um, I said, all right, so I need to find a quote. And, you know, I always want to be creative. And I said, well, my background prior to coming to Deloitte is all about the supply chain, right? So there's where the Henry Ford connection comes in. And then um, as I thought about our three lines of defense, I, in the clients that I serve, I serve both on the compliance side, the internal audit side, and um, with the chief risk officer. So I get to see all aspects of it. So I thought, you know, what better way to talk about the topic that while we all need to work together and connect and make sure that we're communicating, there's also a degree of independence that we need to maintain, which is kind of how I live my life at Deloitte, right? My job is to give my clients all of the information that they need to make an informed decision. It is not for me to make a decision for them. So really happy to be back um, talking with you guys today and excited to be here. (laughs) Thank you very much. I appreciate that very much, Elvia. Are you a a big fan of Henry Ford? Do you think people still talk about him? Because we hear his quotes frequently, quite frequently here on Game Changers. So he is living through his quotes. But uh, what would he say about three lines of defense? Do you think he had something similar when he was working on putting the car onto the assembly line and bringing it to the masses? Do you think he had let's say checks and balances isn't that what we're talking about here elvia checks and balances yeah i would definitely say that that he would um when you think about the three lines of defense it's like an assembly line you have you need you know the compliance organization you need the risk organization and then you need someone to give you assurance that everything is happening as as you originally intended which is pretty much you know an assembly line right you put all the parts together and at the end there's a quality person checking to make sure it all works and fits which is where the success comes in. I like that. Thank you. I, I thought about that. Checks and balances. I'm, I have no finance background, but it seemed to me that's the, the theme we're talking about today. Thank you, Elvia. Pleasure to have you back. And the man responsible for putting together this wonderful panel and topic, Bruce McQuaig. All those letters after his name must be a big business card. He's a director of solution marketing for GRC Solutions at SAP. Bruce has brought us a newcomer to radio, to Game Changers. It's Amelia Earhart. Let me read you a little bit on this day when Delta is still suffering from some kind of a computer malfunction on Monday that grounded, oh, thousands and thousands of flights. I hear there's still about a thousand behind in getting people back on the air, in the air. So um, Amelia Earhart, full name, Amelia Mary Earhart, lived from 1897 until she disappeared on July 2nd, 1937. She was an American aviation pioneer and author, the first female aviator to fly solo across the ocean. She received the U.S. Distinguished Flying Cross for this record and set many other records. She wrote best-selling books, and she was instrumental in the formation of the 99s, an organization for female pilots. And here's the, the missing link here. During an attempt to make a circumnavigational flight of the globe in 1937 in a Purdue-funded, I don't know who Purdue was in those days, Lockheed Model 10 Electric Electra. She disappeared over the central Pacific Ocean near Howland Island. Fascination with Amelia Earhart's life, career, and disappearance continues to this day, and I think Bruce McQuaig is among one of those fans, and here is the quote from Ms. Earhart. The most difficult thing is the decision to act. The rest is merely tenacity. Are you tenacious today, Bruce McQuaig? How are you? 
Uh, thanks, Bonnie. Thanks for having me on the show, and it's good to be here. I know that um, I, on a previous show with Elvia, and I think I met uh, Mark for the first time uh, back in the late 1990s at a conference in London, England. We crossed paths again in New York a few weeks ago, and he agreed to be on the show. What's relevant about this quote to me is that uh, when I look at three lines of defense, first of all, I was quite shocked. Uh, my colleagues told me that the three lines of defense concept was a European concept, not even known very well in North America, and uh, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't, really, wouldn't really fly, wouldn't take off in North America. Well, it turns out that if you look at the statistics, uh, they're partly wrong. Uh, there's, as you indicated, about 60-some percent are either implementing or planning to implement or have implemented already. So that's going well. But it's not taking off. Uh, so from my point of view, the relevance of the Amelia Earhart, you know, quote is that you can't just taxi the plane down the runway. You got to take off. And I think there's a common theme that we've all brought in our quotations today about moving to action at some point in time. Uh, and uh, that's how we got to, I think, behave towards the three lines of defense. I, I think you're right. And did you agree with my, my sidebar with Elvia, Bruce, that it's really a system of checks and balances if we boil it down to what the purpose is? Yeah, I, I do. And I, I like Elvia's analogy as well about the quality process, uh, the back and forth and the quality process. Uh, and I, I think the pieces are in place, but I don't think the interaction is taking place. And why is that? Do you think, you know, very often, Bruce, on these shows, I say uh, what we're talking about on Game Changers Radio, is it breaking news? Are we waking anybody up? Is this a call to action or is this a, well, we've heard about it. We're not ready. I don't know. It means change. It means change management. It means disruption. We hate that word. We like status quo. Which is it? Is this going to be a wake-up call? And by the way, the statistic I quoted from Forrester, it was only 45% of the 200-plus respondents who were implementing it already or who are already or in the process currently. So not quite the 60 you mentioned, but my question is, do you think that this is a wake-up call or is this breaking news completely? What? Three lines of defense? What are they talking about? So where do you think most of the people listening around the world would think about this? I think it's not breaking news because people claim to know about it. Professor, I've implemented it. The difference between our two statistics is I dropped off the people who said they weren't interested out of the survey and just gave you the ones who qualified. Oh. But it's the same number. If you look at the total number of people who responded, about 63% said they're fully implemented, currently implementing a plan to implement, which was an astoundingly large number. I was expecting something like a total of 30, 35%. Yeah. So I thought it would be, it's not a wake-up call. People are aware of it. But there is nothing in the primary concept, uh, although there's some guidance been issued that tells people how to do it or what's necessary. So I don't think the roles have changed. I don't think people have got aligned in terms of what they have to do. I don't think there's any reporting framework. So I think there has to be some, you know, uh, muscle and bone put into this to, to get it to work. It's not just a question of saying, yes, we've got auditors. Yes, we've got managers. Yes, we've got a chief compliance and chief risk officer. We got the pieces. Most people have the pieces, but the pieces have to work together. And that's what's not happening. Okay, and what do you think by the time the end of the show happens and people listen to you three smart people, Mark and Elvia and Bruce, you think that they're going to get their act together or is it going to take a lot more than that, Bruce? Well, we can point them in the right direction and see if we can help them get that plane taking off, I think. But uh, there, there is more you, to be done. There you go. And that was uh, interesting. Uh, we had a quote from Henry Ford. We had a quote from Amelia Airport, Earhart. So we're in the transportation and moving things along. And then Clint Eastwood, <laughs> he says, hey, if it's not going to happen, just take it into your own hands. So he's a mover and a shaker as well. But I digress. Let me circle back to Mr. Mark Salamasic. Mark, love to get a little personal information from you. We already know a little bit about your career history, but I'd like to know... 
What time of day is it where you're calling from right now? I'm in New York, and it's uh, 12.17 p.m., a little afternoon here. And I'd like to know, what are you drinking right now, if it's interesting? And if not, what are you planning to drink later in the day? Mark Salamasic. Well, I, I drink tea. I don't, don't drink coffee, so I'm actually currently drinking tea. And I like to drink tea from AC Purchases, the handle. And it's actually, I get it shipped from uh, Copenhagen. was there on uh, vacation and uh, got to try some of their tea. It's uh, probably some of the world's best tea there. And uh, if they're interested in it, I use a blend that's called one, uh, 175 Years Blend, which is 100, they did it on their 175th anniversary. So gourmet tea is what I drink. Wow, very interesting. And, and are you uh, in the style of the Brits who are the diehard tea aficionados? I think I put all those words together in the right order, where the china has to be a certain thinness and the water has to be a certain temperature and the time in which you steep the tea has to be precise. Are you one of those or you just put the bag in and say, okay, it looks good and you drink it? I just... Put the bag in. It looks good, and I don't <laughs> add milk to my tea ever. No, that would spoil it there. So, and I imagine sugar is a no-no too. Am I correct? Sugar, no, no. Yeah, no sugar, no milk. Just plain gourmet tea. So. Sounds wonderful. Thank you very much for indulging my commentary. And Elvia, you're in Texas today. What are you drinking? Something in a big size cup, or what are you planning to drink? <laughs> I had yeah, to say that the, afterwards. That rumor about everything's bigger in Texas is pretty much true, even the alcohol. So let's just say I, I said a little while ago that I'm at a convention, so I've been, you know, networking with our professionals as well as potential candidates for, for Deloitte. And after um, four days and four nights, I'm actually drinking Pellegrino. I've uh, moved on from water and decided that I only like sparkling water now. Oh, interesting. Any particular? So, okay, Pellegrino. So, let me ask you: in the bottle, out of the bottle, with bottle with ice, room temperature? How do you prefer it? Right now, it's room temperature. Um, I do like it ice cold with a little lime, but I ran out of time to trying to get back to my room for our call. So I said, you know, just give me the bottle. You are very, very kind to us. Thank you. You can go get that ice afterwards. Thank you, Elvia. Bruce McQuaig, where are you? What are you drinking? Well, Bonnie, I'm at home. I, I work out of the Toronto office, but I'm never there. I live about two hours west of Toronto on the shore of Lake Huron, so I'm kind of overlooking the lake, looking across towards the Michigan side, but I can't see it. It's too far away. And because I'm out in the country, I'm a coffee drinker, and I thought the only way I could survive out here would be to buy myself a, one of those really special, fancy coffee machines that you can put the beans in and dial the kind of coffee you want. And so I did that. But unfortunately, Every couple of years, it has to go into Toronto for some uh, repairs and maintenance or rest and relaxation. I'm not sure what get valves <laughs> tuned and the lines fixed. And I'm um, true to my form. I'm a coffee drinker. I'm drinking that stuff that Star- instant coffee that Starbucks sells. Little via coffee, you dump it in a cup and pour some boiling water in. It's a far cry from what I prefer, but um, I'm a coffee drinker, and that's coffee. There you go. I think we established three lines of defense three times. Bruce McQuaig is a coffee drinker. We've got it, Bruce. Uh, Mark doesn't know me. Elvia and Bruce do a little bit. They don't let me have caffeine on radio show days. And this is Tuesday, so we have two shows today. Just finished The Future of the Future with Game Changers a little over an hour ago talking about new college grads. Is this time to 
get your millennial you-know-what up off the couch and start a business? Well, the answer was yes, damn it, yes. And there are so many incubators at so many universities helping them that the mindset is going in that direction. Uh, the millipreneurs are very, very, very successful, much more than boomers were with our businesses. So there, just a little diversion. So if anybody missed that, it's Future of the Future with Game Changers. But back to the present, we are talking today about the three lines of defense, fact or fiction. We've just heard some statistics from a Forrester survey commissioned by SAP, according to Bruce McQuaig, that about 60% of the respondents had already fully implemented or were in the process of implementing TLOD, but there are concerns. So we're going to explore this a little more, a lot more when we come back. We're going to take a quick break. My very special guests today are Mark Salamasic, and Mark is at the University of Texas System. Elvia Novak from Deloitte, shout out to Carla Carla O'Neill and all those good people at Deloitte, and uh, Amanda Bush, and I think we have a lot of other people, and I know that I think Chris Grundy is listening today from SAP, and Estelle Lagoris, hello Estelle, she's probably going to be blogging about this soon, and Bruce McQuaig is also on our panel. So, I'm Bonnie D. Graham, we'll be right back with a lot more here on Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial, you know with the drill, Michael out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Isn't it time for you to transform your finance organization? SAP is leading the way with groundbreaking technology to help finance professionals transform finance. S4 HANA Finance, powered by SAP, is part of SAP S4 HANA, the next generation business suite. SAP S4 HANA Finance draws upon innovative in-memory mobile and cloud technologies to deliver one common secure view of all your information across finance. This gives you instant insight to drive enterprise-wide strategic value. Learn more about SAP S4 HANA Finance at SAP.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Yes, indeed, Financial Excellence with Game Changers. And by the way, if you want to follow along with the conversation and you'd like to tweet, I am tweeting my tootsies off here. We have Deloitte SAP tweeting at hashtag SAPRADIO. Our topic, three lines of defense, fact or fiction? We're going to officially kick off the roundtable with Mr. Mark Salamasic from University of Texas System. And let's see here. Uh, I'm looking at your notes, Mark. And okay, let's. here's where we're going to start. Really, as they say in The Sound of Music, let's start at the very beginning. Mark says, the three lines of defense model is a great way to explain to management the overall responsibilities related to controls and control monitoring. That's a big statement. You want to give us a little background? Take your two minutes, Mark. Mark, and then we'll get Elvia to chime in. Go ahead. Absolutely. That's a great place to start because you've got to get buy-in from your president, CEO, your boards, 
and, and that for any kind of model that's developed. So I think starting there is, is where you've got to start the explanation and make sure they understand it. The thing I love about three lines of defense is a very, very simple model that you can explain. As, as some try to expand it or make it more complicated, I think that's where we go wrong. Uh, I would like to follow up on some of the comments Bruce made. I think the percentages of adoption, uh, if you went back two, three years, it was probably 10, 20 percent, uh, particularly in the U.S. Internationally, I think it got, had a lot more acceptance earlier on, and now it's picking, it's one of these things that's picking up steam as more and more people talk about it at their audit committee meetings, they talk about it to their board, their management. So a top-down explanation so everybody understands what it is. So I, th- I think we're in a evolution where it's picking up steam and it's getting more adoption. U.S. had already had it internationally, and you're seeing it uh, written about in a lot of the, from the Institute of Internal Auditors, from the IT Auditors Association, the ISACA. So you're seeing a lot more uh, publications, m- more definition within the last really two years. So I think it's, it's something great in terms of a framework or model that allows us to educate everybody and, and use the same terminology and nomenclature. So it is international. Did it start here? Where did, where did, who came up with it, Three Lines of Defense? What's the origin? Do you know the, the lore? Bruce, Bruce isn't it um, out of, wasn't it originally out of Europe? I think Bruce is calling back. His line was bad, and he's calling oh, okay. us back. So I'm, Bruce, I'm, I'm Elvia, pretty sure it was originally Elvia, out of you Europe, know? if I recall. I'm not sure where the origins were, Bonnie. I did hear there was, white, um, uh, I guess, adopted a lot faster in Europe than it was in the U.S., um, because probably we're so used to being uh, siloed organizations and, you know, the transformation to an integrated environment uh, has been ha- happening over the last 20 years. Okay, interesting. I'm, I'm Googling it to see if I can find out where it came from. I just thought it was an interesting sideline, but probably not that, uh, probably not that important. So, Elvia, I'm going to ask you to comment while we're waiting for Bruce to call back. I'm going to ask you to comment on what Mark introduced as far as the, the explanations of controls, control monitoring, the necessary, the good parts of it. Uh, talk to me. Yeah, so when you think about it um, from a controls point of view, um, you know, it's supposed to be embedded within your business processes. That's supposed to be an afterthought, right? And then with the regulation of Sarbanes-Oxley um, several years ago, it became evident that we needed to do a better job of understanding the controls, documenting the controls, testing the controls to make sure that we're able to, you know, uh, identify, prevent, or detect any potential fraud. So that kind of evolved. So I, I would consider that kind of like the compliance organization. At the same time, over the last couple of years, you've seen a new role in the marketplace called the chief risk officer, right? We've always had Mm -hmm. a CEO. We've always had a CFO. We typically always have a CIO, and now we have a CRO, and and they're evolving still to additional positions. But the job of the chief risk officer was to establish the risk appetite for the company and then identify the different structures within the organization that have responsibility for, again, identifying uh, maintaining and supporting the overall control environment. So I think that has led to a lot of transformation over the last couple of years in having these very three distinct functions within a company that focus on, the, on different elements of risk. You said something very, I think we have Bruce back, yes, but uh, before I get Bruce on, um, LVI, you said something about the corporation's 
appetite for risk. I'm not familiar with that. I'm sure it's something uh, the three of you, the three of you talk about all the time. What does that mean? Who sets that appetite? Is it uh, somebody who says, "Well, I can only afford to lose five nights of sleep a week, and so that's my <laughs> that's my cliff of risk appetite," or is it a is it a newcomer who says, "Yeah, bring it on"? Or somebody says, "Nope, I'll, I'll lose uh, one night of sleep on Monday nights, and then everything else better be controlled much more tightly." Where does it come from? The term. So, so the appetite for risk. So, managing risk is not a new concept, right? Um, when, even if you were setting up your own um, environment, your own company, or even if you're managing your checkbook, you know how much money you have and how much money you can spend, and you're not going to overspend, right? So, the concept is not new. The the transformation that has occurred is understanding what that risk profile looks like. So, I work a lot with the different, the specific three lines of defense that we're talking about, and I advise clients on what they should or should not consider doing. From that point of view, um, I will have a similar control that is typical for a company, but whether or not you implement that control is going to be dependent on whether or not that is a a real risk for your environment, right? The While we have core financial risks that are pretty applicable to any organization, there are specific risks that are associated with the environment and the industry in which you operate. So you don't necessarily um, have the same appetite for risk or the same risk profile as we like to call it. Thank you. That's interesting. Bruce McQuaig, I think you're back with us. Bruce, uh, you want to talk about this appetite for risk, or were you able to hear what Mark Salamasic was talking about? I missed part of Mark's, but I can jump in with some comments on appetite for yeah, risk. I think please. Uh, an interesting uh, parallel to that, and it's part of the equation, I think, is not only what the company's appetite for risk is, but it's the willingness to accept risk uh, up to that appetite level. And I think you can do some cross-calibration, you know, looking at those sorts of things. Strategic risks, in many cases, bear enormous risk. Uh, if you're making an acquisition, if you're developing a new product, if you're drilling a deep-water oil well in, you know, some offshore location, the consequences can be pretty severe if things go wrong. Uh, so you have to understand the appetite, but then you have to say to yourself, well, you know, am I willing to undertake that? Well, well is, there a, is there a value that is going to be adding to the organization uh, if I undertake that risk. So it's useful concepts and not the kind of things we used to talk about, you know, five, six years ago, but it's it's uh, bringing risk management to, uh, I think, a new level. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I want to go back to Mark Salamasic. We've had comments from Elvia and from Bruce as well. Anything you want to talk about that opening topic, Mark, and wrap it up because I have some things I want to talk about with Elvia. Um, probably the the... the biggest thing is there's confusion in the three lines of defense in terms of sometimes the auditors think that they should do more in terms of the second line and do some of that insurance. And actually, the second line can has some assurance. You've got functions like compliance, et cetera, that has some assurance uh, responsibility. So what I've seen is a lot of debates about who's responsible for what related, particularly to the assurance and monitoring and making sure the controls are correct there. So I think where we're at is a lot of people are trying to work towards to what is fits in the box of the first line, second line, third line, and get your organization to buy into it. Because I do see some conflict between some of the pointing fingers of who's responsible for, for, for what on that. But I do believe, kind of following up what we said, I do believe that it is definitely gaining steam and that you see a lot more adoption of three lines of defense from the top part of the organization. 
Thank you very much. Very interesting. And now I'm going to move to Elvia. Elvia, I'm looking at something uh, very, very basic here in your notes, and I think it's time for us, for those in the audience who are not that familiar, as the three of you are, with just exactly how this works. So I'm just going to read a little bit and ask you to explain. You say, key, key stakeholders that have to be on board for the success, all three organizations need to buy in, need to accept. So you talk about operational management. You talk about risk management, compliance, and internal audit. Can you lay out the map, or perhaps, Elvie, it might be a Venn diagram, if you're familiar with that term, I suspect, where the three circles are all intersecting somewhere in the middle. Can you draw us a a verbal picture of how this all fits together? Yeah, I think the key distinction is going to be that there is a difference between the functions, right? Somebody needs to own the risk, somebody needs to manage the risk, and somebody needs to have responsibility for overseeing and managing um, and providing independent assurance. So when I I think about that Venn diagram, you know, you have a circle and that's your management function. I label it operational, but you know, it's it's generally management. Management needs to know what controls they have in their environment. What what? How do they manage their business processes? Who owns the control, right? And they have a responsibility to test the control. The um, at the top circle, we have the um, risk management compliance organization, the CRO that I just mentioned, that does pretty much an enterprise-wide risk assessment, as Bruce mentioned, determines what the appetite um, for risk is and then oversees that process. And as uh, as Bruce mentioned, if you're going to accept a certain level of risk or if you're going to uh, make a change, you need to know how that change affects your enterprise-wise risk assessment and how that's going to change your overall control environment. And then you have on the, on, the, on the right side, you have the internal audit. So there's an intersection in the middle, right, of those, uh, that Venn diagram, if I'm pick, painting a picture for you. Mm-hmm. And that middle is we all need to be aligned to the same objective. We all need to understand what is the risk, what is the control, who has responsibility, who is accountable. And those roles need to be clearly defined and understood um, in order for this to be a successful uh, three lines of defense roadmap or framework. Thank you very much. I, I see the picture. I get it now. Bruce, <laughs> thoughts? Do you agree with that particular version of the Venn diagram? Anything you want to add to clarify for the audience? Well, let me add a couple of things. First of all, I do agree that somewhere in the Venn diagram has to be objectives and strategies because the three lines of defense have to align with the organization's objectives and strategies, and all 12 three lines have, have to know what they are. In my days as an internal auditor, chief auditor executive, the, you know, I meet with the audit committee, and they turn to me, and maybe Mark can share his experiences with his audit committees uh, that he mentioned as well. And they turn to me, and they say, Bruce, is everything under control? And uh, rather foolishly, I would say, uh, yep, uh, to the best of my knowledge. But in the three lines of defense world, I'm not sure that's what should happen. I think if operating management is responsible for control in their business, the chief operating officer or management in the operating operations of the business should answer that question. The board shouldn't turn to the auditor and ask the question. The board should turn to business managers and even the second line of defense and ask that question. And they should turn to the auditor and say, um, are these guys giving me good information? Are they telling me the truth? Have they got a risk management process in place that lets them you know, you know, answer the question about internal control and risk management in their business. So that's the first point I'd make. The role of the auditor changes. And I'm not sure a lot of auditors want to give up that role because it's kind of an important mm-hmm. It changes dramatically in my mind. Second thing I think is we have to be careful that we don't try to apply the three lines of defense everywhere. Uh, I mean, there's lots of day-to-day activities that I don't think you need to apply the three lines of defense to focus on those key risks that 
drive the value of the business and focus on those key risks that if you don't manage them, it can, ca- it can cause you catastrophic losses. But the day-to-day paying people, you know, paying the rent, paying people, paying your bills, that, that should not be um, a focus of the three lines of defense. That's where a lot of people are focused right now. But I think the three lines of defense will only add value if you focus on where the value is. So I just add that to what Elvia said, and it's not a disagreement. It's just kind of a, a fleshing it out a little bit, I think. I think that's very helpful. I'm going to circle around to uh, Mr. Salamasek. I don't know why I keep calling you Mr. I know your name is Mark, but you just look like a Mr. to me. So, Mark, what are your thoughts? Do you agree with Bruce? Uh, do you, first of all, your comments on Elvia drawing that picture for me that I requested, and she did so wonderfully with the Venn diagram. At least we're all old enough, the three of us, four of us, to know what a Venn diagram is. I don't know if they teach it anymore. Mark, and or uh, comments on what Bruce said that you, you shouldn't be applying it everywhere. I would agree that it, it provides a framework that you should apply when, when appropriate. I'd like to follow up. I, I, I'm completely in sync with what Bruce said in terms of what I've seen from the audit committees, that they are looking for that answer. Is everything working right? And that's, that's where they've been traditionally. However, we need to, again, that's where we need to take action, and they need to be asking management those questions. And that gets into the part where that second line of defense, they should be doing their daily job of supervising, monitoring what's going on in their department. They should be doing a lot of the, the things that auditors maybe have done as part of their assurance work and been asked those questions. So a lot of times, in my opinion, that second line defense needs to step it up a bit. And that third line being auditors needs to be more like the, the traffic hop that sees when you're going out, you know, way, way over the speed limit kind of stuff and say, hey, hold back, guys. But I, I think uh, there's work that we've got to do in every organization to get everybody speaking the same terms and, and who's going to do what. So I think that's, that's the part that needs work on. And it may not be the same with every organization. I've seen some organizations do, do a lot of assurance. The audit, auditors do more of second-line defense, which I think they, they need to rely on management more. You mean to tell me that you can't have a Tower of Babel or Babel, however you pronounce it, wherever you come from, and everybody can't be talking and babble at each other and get it done? Mark, you mean they have to talk the same language? Really? That's the part that you got to start <laughs> with and sit down. Hey, one of the guys in the office next to me, he uses the word taxonomy, but that's such a complicated word that many people don't know what taxonomy is. So I like to just say, hey, speak the same language. There you go. I like that. Elvia, you started this part of the conversation. Anything you want to add to what your colleagues on the panel just shared with us? Yeah, I I mean, I agree with um, everything that they said. I think, you know, since I do this, I've been doing this for the last 19 years, it also has a lot to do with the industry as well. Not everybody's implementing the three lines of defense. In some cases, they're only doing two. In some cases, internal audit is actually um, doing the control testing on behalf of management and not necessarily independent. So there's many different ways you can look at it, but I think the important thing is what's the risk appetite of the company and how are the strategy and objectives aligned to make sure that they're managing their risk appropriately throughout the organization. 
Thank you very much. Bruce McQuaig, I'm looking at your notes. You've already brought in a lot of the topics. One I was going to talk about is while three lines of defense is a simple, valid framework, its application should be limited. We already covered that. I just thought that was a tweetable moment. Let's move on to reports, Bruce. You say along with with your customers, you're trying to figure out what reports are needed by each of the three lines of defense. Who should issue the reports? How often? And the caveat to all this or the guideline or the umbrella is you say there really is not any guidance on three lines of defense reporting. And then we all know, Bruce, what gets reported gets managed. So I'm going to say, duh. So how does this get solved, Bruce? How does this get solved? Well, it's just, I mean, uh, it's it's not an easy solution because I think there's some fundamental changes that have to take place. Uh, I know in my days as as an auditor in an oil company, if I went into the manager of a production office or refinery and I said, you know, uh, Joe or Jane, give me the top 10 things that will get somebody killed or injured in this plant. Give me the top 10 things that will shut this business down. They could tell me. Immediately they could tell me. They can go to their books and draw diagrams and, and track the incidents and, uh, uh, you know, the near misses that they've had. Um, they knew that. If you said, well, what can cause a Sarbanes-Oxley deficiency, they would go blank. So they have methodologies and tools as operating managers that they can draw upon and they can instantly tell you uh, what the issues are in the business, what the risks and how they're being managed. If they can't, then they're not a first line of defense. Uh, The second line of defense, my view is, if you want to link the the second line of defense to to the first line of defense, you have to link it to business performance. And one of the things you have to do is is have that second line of defense aggregate the information from the first line of defense on on the critical risk they're managing, whether it's safety, business interruption, uh, quality, whatever the case may be, financial reporting. And my view is if you don't report to the board or at least report to the executive in aggregate on a quarterly basis, you're not, you're not managing risk. Um, you're looking at a rear view of mirror. So I'm looking for reports from the second. I'm looking for daily information at the first line of defense in terms of how things are working and what's going wrong, what's taking place. I'm looking for at least some kind of quarterly, if not more frequent, aggregation of the second line of defense in terms of uh, what's happening across the business on those topics based on what they're being told by the first line of defense. And I'm looking for some kind of report on a frequent basis by the third line of defense, not is everything under control, but is this information reliable? Is the first line of defense using tools and technologies and practices that make sure they understand their business? And is the second line of defense aggregating correctly? Are the things falling between the cracks? Those sorts of things. So that's what I'm looking for in terms of reporting. And um, there's a lot of variation in terms of how GRC professionals report now. But the standard uh, controls are effective uh, kind of reporting isn't going to work. We just need more information than that uh, to be able to manage the three lines of defense. And there has to be some back and forth. Interesting. Bruce, let me just ask a a question. If if somebody is trying to climb the hierarchy in terms of a profession in finance, in GRC, and they go from one company to another, are they going to be talking a foreign language when they sit down at the table and somebody says, yes, we've adopted this simple, elegant, uh, very interesting framework called Three Lines of Defense, and we have these reports, and we issue them this often, and this is the role of the IA, and this is the role of the Compliance Risk Department, and they're saying, wait a minute, that's not what we did at XYZ, which corporation where I came from. Why don't we do it my way? Does that scenario happen in the real world or does that person say, oh, give me the handbook, give me the best practices, train me, I'll do it the way you want? How does that work? Well, there aren't any specific guidelines in terms of reporting or in terms of practices or in terms of methodology. We're we're kind of left out to our own devices, but we've been around for a long time and nothing they're saying is particularly complex or particularly new. And even amongst the three of us on the panel here, I think we're fairly close in terms of our view, in terms of how things work and how things should work. So 
I guess if you left one company and went to another company to help them with their three lines of defense, they might be bringing some new ideas, but I think the principles are pretty well established and, and the tools and methodologies have to make sense. So I'm not, I'm not sure it's going to be a big stretch to translate from one company to another. I think that's probably good news for job hoppers out there. Mark Salamasic, let's turn around to you. Thoughts about reporting? What reports? How often should they be run? Any, any thoughts you want to share with us? Well, I think on that, we could simplify things a bit in terms of reporting so that there is, you know, more, as Bruce said, you know, providing some more consistency, providing some more standards out there from a reporting standpoint. But I I think there's still an awful lot more to go on related to education and those kinds of things that that need to take place. Um, But whatever reporting we do come up with, I, I, I believe in keep it simple principle, it needs to be, you know, not too many factors. You know, like three lines of defense is three things. So probably three reports would be fine. Um, so, so simplicity is best with that. Okay. Elvia, thoughts about reporting, please? So, yeah, I'm probably going to say that um, this is where I think an integrated approach makes better, making sure that the information is collected and, um, you know, um, I guess transparent transferred into what is required. So I'll go back a couple years ago when I sat down and I was hired by the compliance organization to look at the control environment and we were looking at a GRC solution and looking at implementing a solution that would give us access to information that we needed. So there's one component that gives you the controls data, the testing, the um, um, whether or not you had uh, a deficiency, et cetera. Then there's the other component that's going to give me the information around um, my risk profile, what, what, what are my um, key performance indicators, how did I define risk. And so we sat down with the three distinct functions that we're talking about, these three lines of defense, and we sat down and said, what do you need? What is the reporting that you're going to need to manage your risk within each of these three different functions? And then we took that and translated it into this solution so that everybody has access to the same information, but they're able to generate the data that they need real time. The most important aspect here, especially for global companies, is the real time access to information because if I get a report that's two weeks old and I'm reacting to it and you know I may or may not have already addressed that issue, it feels like I'm spinning my wheels, right? So we want to minimize the amount of time that we're going to spin our wheels, especially when we have very three specific lines of defense that we're talking about. So from that point of view, I think um, I agree that it needs to be simple. I agree there's stuff out in the marketplace. I, I think companies need to look at and assess what is it that they need and then go forward with a roadmap that makes sense for each each organization. Thank you, Elvia. Very interesting. And Bruce, I'm going to circle back to you. I want you to comment on what Mark and Elvia said, and then I have a question for you, Bruce. Uh, I'll give you a simple example. Or I'll try to paint a yeah. visual picture of what I think a report would look like. And there's actually a company with a, pub- mm-hmm. a re- report in the annual report in the public domain that we could even point to. But it's a, a graph. It shows the company's uh, basic strategies. It shows key performance indicators against those strategies, and it shows the risk appetite against those strategies. So, are you performing in the red zone in terms of risk appetite? Are you in the green zone? And in total. Do those risk appetite numbers balance out? Are you net red or net green, so to speak? So to me, it was the neatest report I've ever seen, uh, recently at least, in terms of what I would portray as a something that links operating management to uh, second line of defense to 
to a third line of defense and, and risk appetite, brings in risk appetite and strategy. So there are some innovations out there that we can look at as examples, and that's just one I can mention. Well, that's good because I had asked Elvia to paint a picture and you just added some some color notes to that picture. Bruce, I wanted to mention, I quoted you a moment ago saying what gets reported gets managed. That is, to me, a riff off of what Peter Drucker said. What gets measured gets managed. Remember that one? Yep. Yep. Okay. I'm putting that in the tweet. A la Drucker. Thank you. I want to have what, squeeze in one more topic here. We're ready for our crystal ball predictions in about three and a half minutes. But Bruce, I want to pick up one thing I think is very important to this conversation. Uh, you say we need to get beyond effective control reporting to business performance. We always talk about that here on Financial Excellence, Bruce. How can we, you, the finance department, the people talking about three lines of defense, how can you drive business performance with three lines of defense? Is there a nice, neat answer to that, Bruce? Well, I'll try to make it nice and neat, Bonnie. I'm not sure it's going to turn out that way. (laughs) But basically, you should understand the impact of business risks on your performance. And and, and you should understand the impact of controls on your performance as well. You should be able to say, if this risk occurs, it's going to, you know, have that negative impact on my my performance to this particular objective. And if I put a control in place, it might help or, in some cases, Mm -hmm. maybe even hinder that. So you have to understand the impact of Risk and control are three lines of defense on your business performance. Uh, and typically what the kind, kind of thing you're looking, you're looking at would be issues. What's going on? What incidents are happening? What issues are happening? What near misses are happening that will tell you on a real-time basis uh, how your controls are working and how your risks are being managed. So if you want to keep it simple, I'd say look at, uh, don't look at whether controls are effective. Look at the ways in which they're not effective. And they evidence themselves in issues, incidents, concerns, Uh, near misses, those sorts of things. That's what you need to know about. Thank you. I'm going to have just time enough for Mark Salamasic to comment on that. Mark? Yeah, I really would like to mention, too, that kind of following up what Bruce is saying, uh, getting down to that root cause of the problem and not just the symptoms of finding out occurrences that you can have these certain problems, but getting down down to that root cause and figuring out how to, to fix it. Also, going back to his reporting comment, I just love the example that he gave there uh, in terms of a very simple example that uses a dashboard kind of uh, example to paint that picture for how the organization is doing. I think that that was fantastic there. So, um. Thank you. I'm sure Bruce appreciates the fantastic comment from you. Um, Elvia, I can give you just a couple of seconds to comment as well on what Bruce said, and then I'm going to circle back to Mark, and we're going to go directly into our crystal ball prediction. So, Elvia, thoughts on what the two gentlemen just discussed? Oh, in complete agreement. The um, dashboard is going to be very important because the you know C-suite really likes the color coding. <laughs> um, I have found in my uh, years of working in compliance, and I think that's a, a, an important element of the reporting, not just reporting the metrics and the data, but really finding ways to um, have a visual of that data as well. Thank you very much. I think the future is here. Let's talk to Mark Salamasic. Mark, I love the year 2020. I don't know how far in the crystal ball you can see from where you are at University of Texas system, but let's give it a try. Three lines of defense. Will we still be talking about it? Anytime in the future, you tell me, will it have a different name? Will it be called the Salamasic method? Will it be called the McQuaig uh, systematology? Will it be called the Elvia Novak elegance? I don't know. Give me your predictions, Mark Salamasic. 60 seconds. Go. Okay. So it will have, within the UT system, it will have 100% adoption. It will remain as the three lines of defense. I think the percentages 
that uh, we had from Forrester will go up to 90% adoption by 2020, and you will see everybody using the, that terminology. On the, the, the details that go behind supporting it, I think you will find additional guidance that will be provided by numerous professional associations, and everybody will be speaking in the same language. Thank you. Elegant and to the point. Appreciated. Ms. Elvia Novak, why don't you take a 60-second look into the crystal ball. Deloitte, and tell me, what do you see? How far in the future? Um, I would agree. In the year 2020, the adoption will be pretty high. I think there will still be nuances and differences according to the industry and the risk profile of the company, but I do see the three-line of defense moving forward relatively quickly, especially with the ongoing um, scrutiny scrutiny from the regulators on how we manage overall risk, risk within our companies. Thank you. My goodness, Bruce, they were so concise. I have a little extra time for you. Bruce, I can give you a whole, maybe, oh my goodness, I don't think this has ever happened in five years. Would you like two minutes for your prediction, Bruce, or you want to go in another direction? I'll give you uh, 120 seconds. Bruce McQuaig, it's all yours. I tell you what, I'm not going to use my stopwatch, uh, Bonnie, so you can cut me off if I go too long. But <laughs> you no, got I, it. I think, I think you're correct. and it's, it's encouraging. Actually, the statistics I quoted seem to indicate that it's really not being adopted or really not being, you know, implemented in any rigorous way. But I think the plane's taking off. Um, and I do believe that by 2020, we'll, we'll see much more focus, much more alignment uh, um, in a technology company. But I do believe that we'll be seeing the adoption of, of all kinds of technology that's available now, but not necessarily used by all kinds of vendors. Um, I do believe that the role of internal audit will be changed dramatically to more of a consultative role. Uh, I think if operating managers are managing risk and control at the ground level and the second line of defense is working, we need somebody to kind of uh, not just provide quality control, but to provide capabilities and skill sets that can help them do their job and, and far less auditing. So I think we'll see operating managers that, you know, drive, they already manage some things extremely well, and they'll be you know moving into other risks or other objectives perhaps and, and, and adopting some of the practices they use now for quality and environmental and uh, safety and business continuity into into other types of objectives and other types of risks. So that'll work well. I think the second line of defense will be aligned with that, and I think the third line of defense will will build the capability uh, that's necessary and provide the advice and insight to the board to help them understand how things are working and and what's going wrong and how they can how they can manage the business from a governance perspective. Thank you very much. And I have a quick bonus question. I've got about 90 seconds to do this, and let's just run through the whole panel. We'll start with Mark Salamasic. Millennials, are they going to find all of this exciting or interesting or challenging? Is three lines of defense good news in terms of letting the new college grads up through? Well, millennials are already in their, almost in their mid-30s right now. Uh, getting them into finance, are they going to help move things forward and revolutionize the finance profession? Mark Salamasic, I can give you a yes or no plus one sentence please. Yes, and they view three lines of defense as ho-hum, easy to do. Ah, ho-hum, meaning it's not a challenge, it's not fun, it's not exciting, it's not sexy. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. They are very interested in technology and they adapt to it very quickly. And that's why they will do it. I mean, they'll do this. This is just the way them operating. It's easy. Thank you very much. Elvia, 
Millennials coming in too, and are they going to find anything alluring about three lines of defense? Yes or no, quick. I say yes, and I think the need for um, moving things a lot quicker is going to expedite the process um, because they want to see change quickly. Okay, thank you very much. And Mr. McQuaig, what are your thoughts? I say yes, and I think they'll say, what have you guys been doing up until now? This just makes sense. Ah, interesting. Okay. They won't say, hey, pops, will they? (laughs) Okay. Or mom. Oh, my goodness. You never know. You never know. I want to thank our three panelists. You've all been good sports, good information. Thank you for educating me and our audience. And I think there's hope out there. Mark Salamasic, University of Texas System, Elvia Novak at Deloitte. Say hello to everybody for me. And uh, Bruce McQuaig, always happy to have you on. And I think we have to do a shout out. This is the end of the 10 episode season. This season, in 2016 for Financial Excellence with Game Changers. So shout out to Chris Grundy at SAP. And Chris promised he's coming back for season six. This is the longest running series we've had other than our flagship coffee break with Game Changers. So time for me to say goodbye and we'll be looking forward to more Financial Excellence shows in early 2017. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Have a good one. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Oh, shout out to Michael, our our engineer at the Business Channel. Uh, Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Why not? What else do you have to do? Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO. And join host Bonnie D. Graham Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.